If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, Lord, bind us together with love. There is only one God, there is only one King, there is only one body. That is why we can sing. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, Lord, bind us together with love. Well, good morning. Glad you're here today and looking forward to our time together in worship this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Ephesians 4 and verse 3 to start today, and uh, we will get moving right there in just a moment. Uh, I was going to bring some ropes with me this morning, and I forgot to do that, but you know by looking at the title and singing the song together that we're going to be talking about chords that can't be broken, and we're going to focus on those three thoughts in the song that we just sang. Uh, I did a little research on, on cords and ropes in the Bible, and I'm sure uh, if you have been familiar with certain passages that talk about cords, you'll know the, some of these illustrations. Uh, but we know that there are several cords in Scripture. One that, that brings to my mind when I think of cords, I think about braided cords. Uh, I think about those that are three cords strange, uh, brought together, or I think about the cords that held the breastplate of gold on the high priest. Uh, there were cords on the screen door on the outer part of the temple. There were cords that held the curtains and the petitions and the tabernacle and the temple, specifically told how they were to be shaped, what they were to be made of. So the Bible has a lot to say about these kinds of things that bind together. So we live in a world where we're bound to a lot of things. We're bound to humanity. We have many other people on this planet look just like us. Uh, they breathe oxygen just like us. Uh, they walk among us, but they live differently. There are people that live in a, a state of worldliness or uh, being in a, a flesh. We as Christians are supposed to live of the Spirit, so we focus less on, on physical things. and We're supposed to look more on spiritual things. The material things will pass away. The spiritual things will be the only things we take with us. That's why I always tell young people when I'm teaching about the soul, I ask them to close their eyes and focus. And I say, you're looking currently at the only thing you're going to take with you. 
And when you look deep within your soul, you realize that is the only thing I'm taking. I'm not taking uh, uh, any of my infirmities or sicknesses with me. I'm not taking any of my possessions with me. Uh, And sadly, as much as we would love it, we can't pick who we go with. And we have some people we'd love to go with us to heaven to spend eternity with, but we have no choice. They have to make the decisions on their own. So we have to nourish our soul and take care of our soul. And when we think about being a church family, Billy and I were talking about this just recently, about how you know we talk about becoming a New Testament Christian, and we talk about the steps for salvation, and we talk about uh, the things that we need to do personally, but we also need to really heavily emphasize that Christianity, being a disciple of Christ, being a follower of Christ, means that I worship him in spirit and in truth. And we're added to the church immediately after our baptism. We're added to the Lord's body. Uh, it is a, a part of that adoption and that sealing, that process. And so we immediately are brought into the fold with other Christians. And Paul's going to use this illustration because as Christians, we are bound together. We're knit together. And the stronger, the tighter that we are, uh, the more unified that we are, the less Satan can use his influence. I was at a youth event one time in Idaho, and uh, uh, our speaker brought in a bunch of twigs. I went and helped him collect all these twigs outside. And I know I've used this illustration, but it's a really, really good one. And he took a bunch of twigs, and he's just breaking them and dropping them and breaking them and dropping them. He's like, this represents me and you as a Christian living in the world. Just Satan's just having his field day. But then he took a whole bunch of them and bound them together with a cord. And he tried to break them, and he couldn't break them. You know, volunteers in the eyes. Anybody break all these cords? Well, when all the twigs are tied together... You, you might be able to break one on the outer fringe, but it's impossible to break all those twigs at the same time. And his illustration was, as the church, we have to learn to dwell together and work together. And Satan has less power over you than you think. We often think he has all this power and influence and he's trying to destroy us. And, and yes, he is. But the power that is in you is greater than that that's in the world. So, so Satan can try what he wants. He can do all his work. But if you are tied and united to Christ and your brothers and sisters in Christ and you're faithful not only in your spirituality but also in your worship, uh, you will be rewarded for that. And you need people to surround you. Uh, we also talked about a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, where we were talking about Jesus fashioning the cord in the temple to drive out the money changers. So in God's hands... Cords that are bound together can be used for much good, or if we choose to follow a different route, those cords can also bind us uh, to evil. The thoughts I want to share is each of these verses we just sang together. The first is that there's only one God. Look with me here at Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, notice with me specifically verse 3, but we're going to read 1 through 6 together. It says, I therefore, uh, the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's our verse. The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is verse 4. One body and one Spirit as you're called, one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So those verses show us what unity is supposed to look like. Well, God basically shares uh, with us throughout Scripture how this binding works. God uh, realizes the cords of our sin. 
Uh, God tries to help us see the error of our way and unravel that cord because we do get entangled. If you've ever been fishing before, let me say, let me say this. If you've ever been fishing with me before, you know, or if you've ever been fishing with a kid before, you spend most of your time detangling. Okay, it's like having a, uh, when you're with a child, you, you get ready and, and you know the fish are biting and you are eager and it's the perfect weather and you've got the boat located in just the right spot and you've got plenty of things around you. Uh, you've got all the bait you need and the rods you need and all that and all you're going to spend time doing all day is detangling cords and as my grandpa would say, well, you got another tree bass, you know, so... You're out there and you're fishing and, you, and it's not always going like you want, so our cord gets tangled up in things. And God understands that. He, he is very gracious to us. He allows us to learn on our own when we've made a mistake and he willingly accepts us back with love. But we get entangled with sin. And when we do that, uh, we, limit, we limit what God can do in our life. And when we fall into sin, not only are we hurting ourselves spiritually, many cases we're hurting other people around us. You see this with people who engage in uh, deviant behavior, and they will harm themselves, but at the same time, they're also harming people in their inner circle. There are many of us as moms and dads, we've lost sleep over things that are, we're worried about our kids. And they may not even be nothing wrong, but we're worried about decisions they might make. And so imagine the hours... Uh, that God looks down upon us and he says, man, I wish they'd be doing something else. But we make those mistakes, and so we get, we get tangled up in sin. I love that, that verse from James 3 where he talks about that, that sin gives birth to sin, and it's just we're going to continue to do these things unless we break the cycle, unless we get untangled from that cord of sin. God also reverses the cord of wickedness. There is absolutely no one on this planet that is so far gone they can't be saved. Regardless of who they are and regardless of what they've committed, God will always be able to unfurl that cord, to untangle that web. Even if we have weaved it among the worst of the possible sins that we could ever commit, God's grace and the blood of Jesus are great enough to cleanse it all. And so we have to see the air of our ways and we say, I'm tangled up, I'm not where I need to be, I need to change, and God will reverse that. In fact, in Psalm 139, uh, the psalmist says there's an all-seeing eye watching you. And so God is always watching us. He's paying attention to the mistakes that we make and waiting for us like the prodigal father of the son who's been out on the road doing all the things he shouldn't have done, waiting for him to return and willing to receive him. Uh, even, in fact, as Christians, uh, I think about 2 Timothy 3.12, that, that gives us the illustration that all who are in Christ Jesus will face persecution. So even if you're not wallowing in sin, even if you're not entangled with sin, it will find you. And individuals who are sinners will find you. And so if you are a child of God and you're trying your best to live in a world where you're not trying to get entangled in those kinds of things, I think about Hebrews where it talks about laying aside that weight that so easily entangles us, easily gets us uh, messed up. So he says, put those things aside, lay them aside. The other thing is God rewards the cords of the righteous. So we have to be tied to God. We have to be chained, if you will, to our God. Nothing should ever restrain him. Uh, he can do all things. He can do impossible things. So what would happen 
If I had someone in my life who could do anything, literally anything, whether I ask him or not, and, and I know that I have the ability to ask for things, and he gives those things, the ability to handle any problem, anything, this superpower, well, that is what we have available to us in God as we're in Christ Jesus. He can do literally anything, and so he wants us to stay righteous. We need to tie ourselves to him. Uh, nothing can restrain those that are full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Terry? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. He is so powerful. I should, I should walk in confidence with boldness. That doesn't mean to walk to the cross or walk to God's throne in arrogance, but it means with boldness, with confidence that I can, God is approachable through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ Jesus and you've not been covered by his blood, you don't have access to the Father. Now, Jesus told his disciples in John 14 that the only way to gain access was through him, John 14, 6 and 7. So the idea is, if I'm in Christ, if I am tied to Christ and I am full of the Holy Spirit and I have access to the Father, well, Satan has to be shaken in his boots. If he realizes that we have a power that is greater than he is, uh, it, it changes the game. And I don't know if you've ever had to play a game and you've played with somebody that's really, really, really good. And you have that fear that you're not going to win. No, 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 Misty, don't shake your head. Don't do that. We, if you ever play a game with somebody and you know there's a chance you're going to lose, you want a little bit of an extra help. It's like, you know, you've got a, maybe you've got a... a a special call, special play in the playbook that you've drawn up. You know exactly what to do, but you like to get the upper hand. I was watching a video here recently about Mike Leach when he was coaching for Oklahoma, and they wanted to beat Texas so bad they couldn't stand it. So he drew up a fake script of the plays that they were going to run, and then he had one of his guys accidentally drop it next to a Texas coach. And the Texas coach picks it up, looks at it, runs it to the booth upstairs, and all the plays that they had drawn up on that sheet, they were actually running to the opposite side. And there's a couple plays, if you watch it on film, where the wide receiver on the right-hand side of the line is wide open. They pulled all their linebackers and safeties to that other side because the play said it was going that way. They did this for a full quarter before finally Texas said, let's start fresh. Let's go back with the game plan we originally had for today. But it was humorous because they said they believed it was true because the opposite would be crazy. What coach would spend hours drawing up a fake playbook just so that the other team would get it and call plays the same? So, but that's, that's the way it is. With, with the devil, he thinks he knows every move God's going to make. Uh, he was there when the earth was created. He, he understands the significance of his eternal plight. And so... Uh, he knows, he thinks, what God's going to do, but God can do all things. And so there has to be moments where Satan gets caught off guard. He has to. He may be out there ro like roaring like a lion looking for those to devour, but there must be moments where right at the point he's about to pounce, they are not available anymore. It's almost like he does with Job where he says, you can do this, but nothing more. And so God will reward those who are righteous. The other thing, too, in this thought here, Matthew 28, 20, and uh, Romans 8 and verse 31, 
Matthew 28 says uh, that, that uh, in Christ, he has all authority. And then at the very end there, he says that I'll be with you always to the end of the age or the end of the earth, depending on your translation. And so when we read that and we put that in light of Romans 8.31, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Then you have power in your arsenal you haven't even touched yet. There are things that God has empowered you spiritually to do, and you can't even fathom it yet. Uh, it's almost like when you see these, uh, these shows where superheroes get powers, and when they first get them, they don't know what to do. They, they mess up because they can't figure out how to use them. I think we're like that in our spiritual walk. We have more power in our prayers than we think, and we have more influence over people than we might think that we have. And so we have a, a, an unlimited power source in God. So we should pray like we believe in a God who can do it, and we should live as if we're going to be in heaven tomorrow. Uh, that ought to be the mindset of someone who is bound or tied to God. The second, second verse, second little thought there in this song is there's only one king. And our heavenly king recognizes the cords of vanity. Uh, he's amazing. Uh, God has sent his son to walk the earth. And that is hard for some people to comprehend. How can a, how can a creator God make a decision to come down in flesh How'd that work? Uh, John does a great job of explaining that in the first chapter of his gospel when he talks about how he came down and he tabernacled among us or he, he put his tent around us. He dwelled with us and walked on the same. You know, you can actually go and walk the same streets Jesus walked. You can breathe the same air he breathed. You can actually see some of the buildings that were probably present at the time that he walked the earth. Uh, he lived and he also died in flesh like we're going to die. But he rose again. And as the first fruits of the dead, as the first to have been risen, and the way that he was risen is a hope for those who are in Christ. And so he accomplished many, many great things. But he recognizes the cords of vanity. And he sees us all entangled in the things that are vain, the things that are, should be worthless to a child of the king. Uh, I, I've often been impressed with... When I was a, a child, I remember the cartoon, um, I'm a very simple creature, okay? But I remember the Prince and the Popper with Mickey Mouse. This is probably uh, early 80s. And I remember that the Prince is looking out the window going, man, I wish I could be among the common folk. And then you've got the Prince, it's based on the book, of course, but didn't read the book, watch the cartoon. Kind of like The Hobbit, I did that too. But I've read it since. But anyways, he's looking out saying, I wish I could be out there with the common folk, but somewhere down there in the streets is this little pauper, this little poor little critter going, man, I wish that I could live in the palace. And both of them end up swapping places and they realize that they're both miserable no matter where that they are. And the idea is the grass is always greener uh, in the other pasture, but it also has to be mowed and fertilized and taken care of. And we will very quickly see what people have and we become vain in that we think we need it, or we think that we have to have it. And if we're not going to be happy or content unless we do receive it. And so we end up getting entangled in things that are worthless to a child of the king. Now think about this. If we really believe, this is deep, okay? This is philosophical, all right? If we really believe that we are children of the king, and we really believe that every single material thing on this planet is going to burn away, if we really believe that, what do we do with the things God gives us? 
What about the finances? What about our jobs, the money that we collect? How much do we spend investing in eternity, and how much do we spend investing in our own pleasure? Uh, I read a, an article this week. It was talking about how to purchase things at a cheaper price, and it said that if you'll watch the newspaper, I guess there are people who do this, and when someone passes away, there's an obituary. If you'll find the person, the spouse, or the child, that person, you could probably find out that they're trying to liquidate things. You can probably get them a car, you can get a TV, anything cheap. Just call and say, hey, just read your so-and-so passed away. I'm really sorry to hear that. Do you need any help disposing of anything? Well, as a matter of fact, we got a dumpster out here. Well, I'll be right there, you know? And so people will spend... We will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on, on, on things that are going to burn up. Now, I love a good fire. I do. I love to sit out there at the burn pit and, you know, and I, there's, I like to have just the right, you got to get just the right log on that thing. You know, you can't get one that's wet. You get one that's really, really dry. It's going to burn up real quick. So you got to get a, a, a couple of those for kindling underneath. And maybe I found sawdust works good. You know, have a little, little bit of newspaper crumpled up. And you get that fire going, and it burns. And you sit there, and you enjoy the warmth of it, right? You, you, this is a beautiful thing. It's a, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to relax. I'm going to, we spend millions of dollars on firewood. Y'all with me? Hello? We spend millions in our life, millions on firewood. We will spend it on all the things that we want. And God, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know of any, anything else in life that could be paired to that, uh, that illustration. Is that we, you know what? Water. Yeah. So, I mean, it, life is tough. And we make it harder on ourselves because we worry about our stuff. We worry about, you know, we have, I have a camera. I have actually several cameras at the house. And so every time one goes off, it happened yesterday, it went off and I, was, I panicked. I said, oh no, somebody out in the backyard, somebody in the house. And the dog's been let out. End up, it was fine. But boy, I panicked. Now I did, I'll be honest, I worried more about Lily than I did the house or the car. You can come take all that. But I don't, my dog, that's different. Um, I'm like one of those guys, a friend of mine up in North Alabama, he said, you know, I had an uncle that died. I didn't shed a tear, but when that coon dog went down, you know, I said, well, that's priorities. But anyways, we need to look at things like God does, and we put a lot, we invest a lot in vain things that are going to be firewood. I mean, they're just firewood. It's, and so something breaks or something tears up or there's a problem with the car or a problem with the house, we will, we will sweat Drops of blood worrying about all that stuff, and it's just firewood. It's just firewood. In fact, I, in fact, that'd be great if we could have cars, and on our license plate, somebody put firewood. You know, that's what it is. It's just kindling. That's all it is. But what we invest in people, what we invest in uh, our neighbors, in our children, in our church family, with what we do with our money, those things are true blessings when we help other people. And so God doesn't want us to be vain. As a child of God, you're above that. We're, we're above that. We shouldn't waste our things, money on things like that. We, we don't want to worry about immoral things. We don't want to worry about evil things. We want to focus on spiritual things. The second thing is he also restrains the cords of trial. Now, this is important. Is 1 Corinthians 10.13 is probably the best verse in this little section of scriptures that I have on the screen because it tells us that God is going to provide a way of escape, but he never puts on us more than we can bear. The idea is God knows exactly how far you can go. Um, we had a, a neighbor one time that had a dog on a chain, 
And uh, you could tell where the outline was as far as the dog could go because the grass was all worn down and it was dirt here. And so we could go over there and we could tease the dog because we knew he couldn't come so far. But boy, if that guy had ever got off that chain, we'd have been in trouble. We'd have been in real trouble. But we could get real close enough, you know, and tease him and he'd bark at you and all that stuff. Well, God has Satan on a leash. There's only so much he can do. There's only so much he can do. And so we don't want to get close. We don't want to test that. So God knows the limits of what is happening in your life. And God has drawn a line that the devil cannot cross. I'll say that again. In your life, God has drawn a line that the devil cannot cross. There is a way of escape. He says this, this and no further. He did it to Job. Uh, he allowed Satan to do it twice. This is your line. You do not cross this line. And so God knows exactly where we are, and he does not allow Satan to go any further. And then another one is he restricts the cords of affliction, and that is to the things that we may do to ourselves, not just what Satan's doing and the trials that come, but sometimes we do things to get ourselves into trouble. Um, it was hard as a kid, you know, when you go and you're going swimming, you're going to the beach or something, and mom's got to slather you know, all this stuff all over you, you know, and it's in your eyes and you don't even, you're like, in fact, I don't want to go to the beach now after all the lotion and, and things like that. When you're sick, my grandma was really bad about this. She just like hand us Dimetap and a straw, you know, just if, you, if you're sick, there's all kinds, here's some aspirin, here's some, what is that? I don't know, but take two of them. And grandma was constantly, my mom was constantly trying to keep us safe and protected so that we wouldn't get into trouble. You go out on the boat, you got to have a life jacket. If you're in the car, you got to have a seatbelt. We're taught that we have limitations. And so there are things that we need to be aware of to take care and protect ourselves. In the case of Joseph, see, Joseph was ready for the affliction of his brothers. He knew that he could receive visions from God. His relationship with the Lord is what kept him strong in that pit that he was in. And in the prison that he was in, his faith in God is what made him not waver. And we know that because at the end of his life, when his dad dies, and he's standing there among his brothers, and the brothers are like, he's going to get us now. Dad's finally, dad's finally gone. And they come to him. It's like, are you sure you're not really mad about all that stuff that happened way back when? And he has to tell them what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so God is doing a wonderful thing in our lives, even with the things that we afflict ourselves with, the pain that we've done to ourselves, God is able to use that as a part of our story to help other people. And that's a beautiful thing in Scripture, is all of these stories, all these characters, things that play out from Genesis to Revelation, God is using people, He's using their story, He's using their pain, He's using their struggle to help other people. And I think that tells us we also need to be a little more forthcoming with what God is doing in our lives, that we have to share with people how God has blessed us and what God has done to save us. We have a lot of conversations with people on a, on a weekly basis. We talk to people uh, out in public. We talk to people on the phone. We talk to people on the internet. And we spend a lot of time talking about you know, football and, and the fall weather, which is awesome. Yesterday, it hit me, and I said, ooh, this is my kind of weather. It's time to be out in the yard. 
So we, we, we invest all this time in things that we want to do and people that we want to see, but there are people that God puts in your life and around you that need to hear your story. And you need to share with them the way in which God saved you. You need to share with people, get comfortable talking to people about what God did to save you from your sins. Um, you may not be able to quote all of the scriptures that deal with baptism. You may not be able to quote all the stories of salvation in the book of Acts. You may not recall, oh yeah, the story of the Ethiopian eunuchs in Acts chapter 8, and Saul is in Acts chapter 9, and Cornelius is in chapter 10, and, and going on and on and on. You may not be able to recall that, but I'll tell you what you can recall is what God did for you personally and what steps you took to be saved. You know what steps you took. And so you should be able to communicate that to somebody. Say, this is what I did. I share frequently my story and how I was, uh, made the decision to become a New Testament Christian. I, I tell that story frequently because it's important. People need to hear it. Um, not because my story is any greater than any other story, but they need to know that I'm saved by the grace of God. And that's a message that people need to hear. And God will use your affliction. Um, I think Romans 8.28 makes that pretty, pretty clear. But his children are cared for, and his children are loved, and he always has our, our best interests at heart. Uh, any other thoughts on one king? If he's the king, and he's our father, what does that make us? That's right, princes and princesses. So we ought to act like royalty. Now, that doesn't mean we're snotty or we're looking down upon people, but there are certain things that are beneath a child of God. We should look at it as if we're not going to sink to that level. I'm not going to do those things that are unlike my father. I want to represent him in the world. So I have a standard by which I need to live up to. I think I told the story once, and I tell a lot of stories that I don't remember whether I've said it or not. So you hear me use that phrase frequently. But I remember my grandpa traveled around in the summer and and with him, and sometimes in the winter, if we had a long break, we'd go with him to uh, RV parks, and we, we would move every week. And I'm sure that some people were really glad when we left, because we would, me and my brother were always running around. Most all the other campers were just, uh, just an old couple, you know, and, and that's it. There wasn't kids around, so we were the kids. So we were also the entertainment. So um, I remember going one time to a place, and this was in uh, Missouri, and we hadn't been there but a couple days, and we were used to living on a farm with ponds, right? So what do you do if you're a kid and you're standing on the seashore of a pond? Yeah, well, you go swimming. If there's a fence around it, you can't. But well, you throw rocks, skip rocks to water, right? So we're outside the fence of this nice swimming pool. Again, I'm young, I'm not thinking. And we're over there just tossing rocks over into the pool, you know? And these guys show up on a golf cart, you know, like they're... Uh, I don't know, it was something out of, something out of a movie, but they come zoop, zooming around the corner of that thing, and they ask for our names and who we are and where we're at and everything, and um, they say, well, you know, we're throwing rocks in there, you're going to ruin the filter, and we've got to get somebody to get in there and get all those rocks you kids are throwing. And of course, I'm scared to death. And he says, who are you? And I told him, and he goes, oh, you're Jim Green's grandson. And I thought, oh, boy. I did not want, that was, the, that was probably the scariest phrase I had heard in my life to that point. Because I knew then, not only did he know who I was, but he knew my grandpa had a firm hand. 
My grandpa used to say, I'm so glad God gave me girls, you know. But me and my brother, we, we, we were just kids, you know, having fun. And I love spending time with them. But I did. I went back, told my grandpa. They were in there playing cards uh, in the little uh, community club thing. And so I told him what I'd done. And he's like, it's okay. You know, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's all right. No, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's just rocks. It's not like you were breaking glass or anything. But I was so panicked. Because we forget that we represent our family everywhere we go. If, you, if you're a sports player and your name's written on the back of your jersey, you, know, you represent that, that family name. And then on the front of the jersey, if you have the, the school's name, you represent that school's name. And I'm, I serve as the chaplain for the football team, and I tell them frequently in the, in the uh, devotionals, you, know, you represent Jesus, but you also represent Snow Christian Academy. So you have to think about what you say and how you act. You really do. You represent your family. So you represent God in the world. And what people think about God and what people think about the church, what they think is judged based on your actions. So if you, just imagine if you're the only person in the whole world that represented God, would people have a favorable view of the Lord or would their favorable view disappear because of the way you act and the things you say? That's a tough one. Number three, there is one body that means the church. There is one body. So if there's one king, and we are his princes and princesses, and we're supposed to be living and dwelling in the kingdom as kingdom people should, we live in such a way, then we're together collectively more effective as a group. It's like a battle. You know, it's great if you have one great warrior. It's wonderful. But we are all warriors. We are all uh, soldiers of Christ. And so therefore, if we work together as one body, we can make a, a larger difference. So the church is rescued by cords of sacrifice. Back in the Old Testament, remember uh, when, they're, when they're trying to get into uh, Jericho, they send some spies in. You remember they're let down out of the window by this basket, but uh, this rope is dropped down. They're let down and they're, they're telling her, if you will mark you know, your house with this cord, if you'll mark your house with this special color, we'll know that it's you and we'll spare you. We won't, we won't let you be harmed. As we begin to read through the Old Testament, we see that there are people who basically uh, willingly offer themselves up to save the whole, to save the group. Uh, that's what Jesus does at the cross. But there are some times that you are called to make sacrifices that you may not want to make. And you have to come to this crossroads and say it's a difficult decision but um, for our family, we have a certain list of things that are non-negotiable. Worship is non-negotiable. Like we, we get up, we come to worship. We want to try our very best to be spiritual people. So we pray together. And not just individually, but collectively as a home and collectively as a church, our actions should be that is seen as one who's a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're supposed to be a living sacrifice in the world. So that means if God is going to work in his completeness, in his fullness within the church, then I, as one of those twigs we talked about, have to retain my strength for the betterment of the whole. And you've probably seen people who have gone through something just absolutely tragic and you say, man, how did they deal with that? I don't know that I could ever deal with that. Well, they have a, a strength within them, a resiliency, despite whatever they're going through. 
And we need to have that attitude that if we're going through something difficult, we have, again, that power that has blessed us to do so. And in the church, what we should be doing is looking for people that are weak. Unfortunately, in a lot of churches, instead of helping the wounded, they shoot the wounded. Y'all hear me? When people are weak, instead of saying, what can I do to lift you up? How can I help you be strong? And not, not shaming them for, well, you shouldn't have done that, you know. Uh, you know better. Uh, man, you come back to church, I'm telling you what. It's, the, people are going to look down on you for that. I can't believe you do that. I can't believe you do. I can't believe the shame that you brought upon your family and yourself. And you're worthless. And I'm so much better than you because I don't do that. My sins are not as evident as yours are, so... Shame on you, you know, and, we, and people will come back and then, you know, kind of look at them and say, and I'm not saying this is us personally, but I'm just saying sometimes Christians can look down on someone so much and be so judgmental and show, so critical that they want to give up completely on their, on their faith. And so what we have to do is learn that our job is to build up. And, and if we're going to practice that, the cords of sacrifice, it means that I can't be about me. I can't be about me. The church is bigger than me. The church is bigger than you. We're in a cooperative effort as a congregation. It's just like when you drive your car. Man, you, you go in and you have it looked at and, and the engine's looking great and you got the oil in it and your transmission's looking great and you got that oil in it and you got windshield wiper fluids full and brand new wipers and man, the car is the perfect air conditioning temperature and you got the heated seats and the aired seats and you got, got everything just exactly right. You got your seat position just right. You got enough gas in the car. Man, everything is going great, but you don't have any tires on the car. You're not going to go anywhere. Well, you're going to make some sparks on the highway if you do. But we focus on certain things and we forget that everybody here is a part of that same car. We're all a part of the same church. So if I'm over here shooting the wounded or I'm complaining about somebody because I don't like the way they do things uh, or I, I just don't like them personally at all, if I'm saying negative things about people, that's not for the betterment of the church. That's for the betterment of self. If somebody begins to tear people down in your presence, just know that that is a character flaw that the devil practices very well. If someone's tearing down someone in your presence and they're saying, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like, well, imagine if God did that to us. You know, I don't like them for what they do. I don't, well, we all sin. And so we have to learn. It's kind of like uh, with, with children, you tell them, you know, you got to learn to get along. You have to play together. And in the church, uh, Bonnie and I were talking about this uh, this week. She said, and I, you know, you say things as a preacher and you don't know what sticks sometimes with people. And she said, I need to see you real quick. I said, okay. So went into her office and she said, you said something a few weeks ago that I have not been able to let go of. It was awesome. I was like, okay, tell me. And I didn't, re I remembered saying it after she told me, but I told her, I said, that was not, that was not scripted. But when we had uh, Lydia Ryder was baptized, and we came out here on the steps and all got in a big circle. We do that occasionally at baptism, especially Sunday morning. We get together in the circle, and, I, and the first thing I said was I looked out and I said, I want you to look around. These are the people you're going to spend eternity with. And she's like, that hit me. It really hit me. Um, the people that are in the body of Christ, the people we're going to spend eternity with. So we've got to learn to love one another. We've got to learn to 
stop treating each other the way the devil wants us to treat each other and start treating each other the way God wants us to treat each other, with love, with kindness, with patience, with understanding. Uh, anything else is not of God. If it's not, the, if it's not the fruit of the Spirit, it's a work of the flesh. So we have to learn to communicate better. The second thing, the church is represented by cords of love. We ought to be known. Jesus tells his disciples, they'll know you by your love. Uh, being a part of the family of God is being a part of a loving community. Humanity is not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. People who are of the flesh are not going to be able to understand this, appreciate this. But if you're in Christ and you're in Christ for very long, you realize you can't really do it by yourself. You need that family. You need people to be able to lean on. And I'm not just talking about people to bring you a casserole when you're sick. I'm talking about people that can pray for you. There are some warriors in this church. I mean, some real warriors that love the Lord and love each other. And those warriors will go to battle for you. All you have to do is say, I need prayer. And they are praying for you on their knees, remembering you. There's some, Barry's probably watching right now from a bed. He's been in the hospital, had operation on his knee. And again, he's just having all this kind of problem. And he's so thankful for the prayers. And I know he knows that we're praying because we've said we will. And so there are times that people need us to be on our A game. And in Christ, that's all the time. You know, we need to constantly do our very best. And anything else is just, it's just not, it's not appropriate. We need to give God all that we have and we're tied together by love. God uses those, that love, to, the cord of love to draw us in. Um, and I love that. And then finally, the cord of unity. This is where he, he ties us off. What was Jesus praying for in John 17? Praying for unity. What is, what is Paul talking about here in Ephesians 4? He's talking about unity. Um, the Holy Spirit prescribes it. You know? You're not going to get any better if you go to the doctor and he gives you advice and you don't do what he says. The doctor says, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do this, this is going to happen. It's your choice. And if you're paying for that doctor and you're trying to get the right medication or treatment or whatever it may be, and you choose not to do it, that's foolishness. The Holy Spirit has prescribed to us that unity is essential in the church. It's right here in this word. I know Paul used his hand, but it's the Holy Spirit telling him to write this, that we need to understand the unity that is available with us uh, or in us. So Jesus prayed for it. Paul preached about it. All these things where unity is essential. Uh, I mention often the illustration of Paul in Romans 12. The same things in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he compares the members of the body, that is the church, to a human body. And he talks about hands and feet and eyes and ears and so forth. Each of us have a different role. And I will say this, you will hear me say this frequently until I die. Everyone within the church is equal. Every person. There's not one person here that is greater, of more value, of, of, of higher interest in God's eyes than the person that's sitting next to him. Every one of us. Every single one. We're not deserving of salvation, but by God's grace it has been given. And we, we have to look at it and say, everybody here is just as valuable in this fight as I am. There is no one that needs to be left on the battle line. 
There's no one who needs to be left on the battlefield. So we lift each other up, we pick each other up. Instead of condemning someone or being harsh or critical of someone when they fall, we should go, hey, I've been there. Grab my arm, let's do this thing. We're going to bear it together. We're going to deal with it together. I mentioned Wednesday. I have never seen as many responses to the invitation as we've had here in the last six months. It's been a long time. In fact, it's been probably a decade since I've seen as many baptisms as we've had in the last two years. I'm not saying that to toot our own horn. I'm just saying that people who are broken and understand that people are, are loving and accepting, they will come to that environment. And if we continue to show love and encouragement and we continue to strive for truth and righteousness, people will be drawn to that. Because that's what people are looking for is a place where they can heal uh, from their broken state. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're, we're hospital workers, you know. We don't work for hospice, all right. We work for the hospital. We're supposed to be helping people heal spiritually and physically. That's the goal of our lives as Christians. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.